Hello, you glorious listeners. My name is Aaron, and this is Super Pod Saga. For any first-time listeners, this is the podcast where normally Tommy and I talk about every video game topic until we've talked it completely out of existence. But fortunately, he's not here with us today, but we have an awesome guest with us today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man, and, and your show and, and all your socials and all that stuff. Hi, my name is Mono. I'm the host of Tokyo Game Life, which is a Tokyo-based Nintendo-focused video game podcast about gaming and life in Japan, especially in Tokyo. Uh, every episode of my podcast, I have a feature about a place to visit in Japan, gaming-related, or some sort of interesting cultural gaming aspect of Japan that I interview people with, sorry, that I interview people and highlight. And also, I just talk about whatever games I'm playing. So I try to make it like a slice of life uh, type of podcast for people who are interested in the gaming culture in Japan. So if you like Japan, if you like video games, if you like Japanese video games, I think it's a great place to get some good podcast material. And yeah, I'm really I'm excited to be on on this show as well. Yeah, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I like I like all of those things you mentioned: Japan, Jap- Japanese video games. I I feel bad because I, I haven't checked out your show yet. There's a lot of uh, other guests I'm trying to get on as well, too. But I'm definitely going to check out a good mm-hmm. bunch of your episodes because that sounds awesome. Yeah, you don't have to listen to them. Just download them all and so the numbers go up <laughs> and then you can just not listen. It's totally okay. <laughs> no, I'll listen to them. I promise. <laughs> we have a pretty sweet little little topic for everybody today. Yeah, we uh, said your name is Mono, right? That's how I say it? Yes. Awesome. My moniker, I guess. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and yeah, tell everybody what our topic is today, what we're talking about. Well, we are going to talk about tactics RPGs, or I guess SRPGs, or strategy RPGs. I'm not sure why they don't call them TRPGs, yeah. but I guess R- SRPG is a bit more catchy. Maybe TRPG was already taken <laughs> by like tabletop RPGs, so oh. either way, we're just talking about people moving on grids. That's true. That would make sense. Yeah, because in a lot of these, in a lot of these game titles, they don't say strategy. Like the, most of them say tactics, if anything. But yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, Super, Super Pod Saga. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, all, all those other all those other T social media places. We're available on Spotify and pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts. We're on there. What about yourself, man? Where can people find your show or social medias and all that? Just open up your podcast app, the one you're listening to this show right now, and just search for Tokyo Game Life. Uh, Or you can access it through tokyogamelife.com. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Tokyo Game Life. And you can see my information. I don't want to brag, but I am a good follow (laughs) on social media because I post pictures from Japan about gaming every day. So if you want that raw boots on the ground type of photography, definitely check out my Twitter and Instagram. That sounds awesome, actually, because I don't know if uh, if you know anything about Iowa down here in the United States, but Iowa is really, really bland and boring. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sure being in Tokyo, you get a lot of exciting stuff going on all the time. Maybe not all the time, but you guys have the uh, what's it called the buck the Buckeyes, not Buckeyes, Hawkeyes. Iowa. Okay, that's the Hawkeyes. <laughs> we've got we've got Hawkeyes. We've got Walking Tacos. Uh, 
I can't think of anything else Iowa is famous for. Um, <laughs> oh, Ashton Kutcher. The, the actor Ashton Kutcher, he's, oh, from, he's wow. from Iowa. Uh, that's that's Iowa, everybody. That's that's us and our shows. We, it's, and you're our guest today. So, yeah, go ahead with your with your first pick if you're uh, whenever you're ready. All right, great. So you gave me a bit of homework. You asked me to pick my five favorite tactics RPGs. And I'm going to go a bit off the grid. I didn't especially pick my five favorite, but I picked five that I think is the most interesting that I want to talk about. Even though I'm, if I sat down and thought, okay, which five are my favorite? It might be a little different, but a lot of my favorite tactics RPGs are included in here. So uh, it's a good mix of new and old and everything in between. So the first game I kind of want to talk about is both a new game and an old game. And it's the game I'm playing now, which is Tactics Ogre Reborn, which is a remaster of the PSP remake, Let Us Cling Together which is a remake of the original SNES game, Tactics Ogre, that did not come out in America. But the SNES game was ported to the PlayStation, and that did come to America. So it's a remaster of a remake of a port, and it's back on Nintendo hardware. So this is actually my first time I've ever played Tactics Ogre. Uh, Of course, I'm a big Final Fantasy Tactics fan, as I assume most Tactics RPG fans are. But Tactics Ogre is kind of the, I guess, the granddaddy of Final Fantasy Tactics. Because uh, Yasumi Matsuno, who is the director of Final Fantasy Tactics and sort of the master behind behind the whole Ivalice world in Final Fantasy, he originally worked for Quest, and he was the director of this game, Tactics Ogre, for the SNES. So there is a straight line between Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics. So I think people who enjoyed Final Fantasy Tactics are quite curious about Tactics Ogre since, well, it has a lot of the same people, even though Square wasn't involved with it at the time. But of course, yeah, now they ate up Quest and Matsuno still works at Square, I believe. So they own the Tactics Ogre IP. So it is typically, it is a typical SRPG. When you think of a Tactics RPG, it's this. And a lot of modern Tactics RPGs are from this game. This is like the Ur game of Tactics RPGs. It's not the first, of course, there's like Langrisser mm-hmm. and like a bunch of like PC-98 games that were technically strategy RPGs, but pretty much every convention you can think of, like the classes, uh, how you move on the field, how you equip uh, units, all this is from Tactics Ogre. So it is kind of fun to play, okay, all the inspiration is from this one game. You can see a lot of the inspiration come from this one singular title. And it does feel kind of like a test run for Final Fantasy Tactics because a lot of the concepts that are in Tactics are in here. And to be honest, I think a lot of the concepts in Tactics are better in that game than in Tactics Ogre. Uh, So I don't want to say it's like a worse game than Final Fantasy Tactics, but it's just one, I think I prefer Final Fantasy Tactics more. It is different enough where I can see some people say that, oh, Tactics Ogre is actually much better. Uh, For one, uh, Tactics Ogre has larger parties. You can have up to 12 in your party, while I think Final Fantasy Tactics is maybe like five or six, I want to say. I can't remember exactly like the limit, but you're not really like commanding a huge army. But in Tactics Ogre, you are. And I'm kind of more of the person where, you know, the more units, the better. I want like a huge army <laughs> to command at once. Yeah, that's awesome. I and oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, go go ahead. I was gonna say I, I, I do I own the uh, the remake of of Let Us Cling Together on PSP. And I didn't get very far on it, which mm. is super sad. And I kind I do really want to double dip on the the new uh, Reborn on Switch. What's mm. What's the difference between that and like the older uh, like the PSP version? Does it just have more content or something? I never played the PSP version, but from what I've read is that they did change some fundamental things, such as the like leveling. Uh, for example, I believe in the PSP version, like every class had a level tied to that class. Like you have a warrior level, and you have oh, a like wizard yeah. level. But in Tactics Ogre Reborn, they change it to the unit has the class. Uh, so, like for example, if a unit is level thirteen, then when they switch to wizard, for example, they will have all the level thirteen wizard abilities. Uh, so it's, you don't have to like grind up like, oh, I need like three wizards so I can grind up the wizard level, and then I can equip this spell to this one character. That's cool. So it's yeah, it's more of a like a traditional type of leveling system. The class leveling system in the PSP game sounds a bit strange because not a lot of games use that. It's mostly like the unit levels up and mm -hmm. they learn abilities, not like this overall like concept levels up. Um, and they did change the graphics a bit. Uh, oh, yeah. I would say maybe for the worse because it has like the like the Vaseline filter that's on a lot of pixel mm -hmm. games where they smoothed it out a bit. It's not as bad here as I've seen in other games, uh, but it still looks like looks noticeable <laughs> and you're thinking like well i wish they had both like options like the chunky mm. pixels and the smooth pixels i'm i'm a chunky pixel guy so i would always pick that uh but it doesn't look bad by any stretch oh man i, I bet because yeah even the version on the psp still looked really really good and detailed for for what that tiny psp screen could hold it was it looked really really good especially the environments too even though they were all just a regular isometric stuff. They were super detailed, like the water and the mountains and grass and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's a nice looking game, even though it has sort of a strange filter on it. And some other things about Tactics Ogre uh, that really stood out for me is that it definitely relies more on placement and strategy than pure level mm. grinding. Because oddly, there is like a level cap where your units cannot level up past the cap. And that is determined by like the story progression. So right now, all my units are locked at level 19. So no matter how many levels I grind or how many battles I grind, it will be locked at level 19 Jeez. until I complete like whatever story mission that bumps it up. So it takes away a lot of the grinding. So it's much more reliant on, okay, you need to very carefully like move your guides around here. So it's more like chess in that regard than like a grindy tactics RPG like Disgaea. Right. And... Some people fall like on the different sides of the fence uh, because tactics RPG, the interesting part is that, well, you have the strategy, like you, this needs to move here and this needs to move there. But you also have the RPG mechanics, which means customization and also kind of getting the edge on your enemy, either through grinding or through finding like a stronger weapon and whatnot. Uh, so there needs to be kind of a balance to make a really good tactics RPG, I think. If you make it too like uh, strategy focused, mm -hmm. Then it feels like, well, my decisions in leveling up my characters don't really matter. It's because, oh, I need to move my mage three spaces to the left, and then my warrior two spaces up. Uh, so it's more like a puzzle than like I'm I'm making like an RPG That's team. That's awesome. But if you make it like too customizable, then well, 
I'm just leveling up and then I'm just mindlessly pushing my guys forward and they annihilate everybody. <laughs> you kind of have to decide, okay, how should the game be? And different people want different mm. things. I feel that. I know uh, earlier Fire Emblem games, like a good example was the Sacred Stones on the Game Boy Advance. I uh, I forget if it was a different mm. name in, uh, in PAL regions or whatever, but yeah, uh, in that game, there was always the one super-powered character you'd get at the beginning of the game uh, that yes. would just mow everybody down in one or two hits. And then for the rest of the game, they would just be completely mm. overpowered. And and it kind of just... like It didn't really make it... <laughs> you didn't need to do anything at all with your other characters as long as you had that one guy and like maybe one other overpowered character. Yeah, I kind of like... I do like to be overpowered, mm. of course. That's part of the fun of like RPGs in general. Once you kind of like cross that threshold, it's like, well, I can do anything. But, you know, you do want to think about, okay, where should I move my guys? Uh, so it is like a hard uh, balance to strike. And, yeah, people prefer different things, but I think the ones that really connect with me kind of land, like, perfectly in the middle, where there is customization, but there's also, like, a lot of thought into moving each unit. Oh, my God, yeah. And that, that brings me into my first pick, actually. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses with the mm. stupid amount of customization that game has. It's crazy how each character has their own specific aptitudes in battle, but you can kind of just say, "Hey, forget that noise. You're doing you're doing horse riding in a lance or something like that." But usually, in other like strategy RPGs, you'll get multiple characters of the same class, and sometimes it kind of makes other characters feel, I guess, worthless because it's like, "Hey, you've got three like Fire Emblem, you'll get like three Cavaliers, and it's like, well, I guess two of these guys right. I'm not using for the rest of the game because I need just the one. But, but in Three Houses, it's like, well, yeah, you kind of you do want to have at least you know two on the field because they they really really branched out the uh, the the class evolution because you know instead of just going cavalry to, to paladin or whatever, they branched off into paladin and then two other classes and then two other classes and. And depending on what you what you trained your character in, like if you say if you did, oh, what is it? If you did just like spear and um, just just spear and horse riding, they would just become a. I think it was a paladin or something. But if you trained them with, say, like spear and like heavy armor or something like that, they would become a great knight mm. where they have more defense or whatever. But yeah, that that game was just. At first, it was kind of overwhelming with with how much you could customize your characters in it. Yeah, Three Houses is probably my, I would say my favorite Fire Emblem game, but not my favorite strategy RPG for sure, because there's a bunch of other ones that uh, definitely top it. Yeah, I'm also a huge oh. fan of Fire Emblem Three Houses. That was actually one of one of the other games I wanted to talk about today, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah, it was released in 2019 oh, yeah. from Intelligent Systems and also Koei Tecmo. Mm -hmm. They worked on it, but they mostly did sort of the kind of like grunt work for coding, not so much the design. And yeah, it's the first Fire Emblem on Switch. And one of the, I think the main selling point is kind of the unique school structure where you're at an academy and then you ha have like the battles, of course, in your typical like uh, Fire Emblem style grid, but then you're brought back to the school and you could explore in third person and talk to everybody. And I thought this was like one major important addition that really helped this game reach a, like a mainstream audience. Uh, because I think another part of uh, strategy RPGs is the kind of the struggle of, well, after each battle, like, what do you do? Um, most of the time 
it's just well go to the menu and then like equip things or like you can go into a shop uh but it can kind of be like uh like stressful and kind of like a brain drain just doing like battle after battle after battle because it's a lot of thinking um so the school structures with like okay you did that battle for like 30 minutes oh, yeah. now just relax and just like wander around and just talk to people and like level up your guys uh so and go fishing yeah go fishing i uh, get that gold fish uh yeah. and everything you do like it ties in with the like the next battle because you're leveling up like your skills and you're like uh making the bonds better so they're stronger when they fight next to each other in the field and unlocking like new cutscenes and everything like that so i think the school structure of three houses is like a really genius addition it really solves a problem a lot of strategy rpgs have where it's like Okay, it's battle after battle after battle, and I'm kind of getting a little exhausted. Uh, so to have that kind of like two parts of the game is really smart, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, and it added a lot of replay value, too, because other Fire Emblem games were probably not as replayable, because, I mean, sure, you, you could replay other games and um, marry other characters together to make different kids and stuff like that, but I liked how in, in Three Houses, yeah, you replay the game with, with each different each different house to learn because because the first house i played was the black eagles mm. and a lot of those characters were so freaking so well thought out and so put together like or so well put together like like bernadetta as an example she yes. has a super <laughs> super deep backstory kind of sad but yeah she's a monster on the battlefield mm. but yeah then, then you beat the game start over and say you go with like the gold lions and you learn about you know the characters there, and that that was that was a neat addition as well too. That was really well needed for Fire Emblem for sure. Yeah, the game has like a lot of content, like an absurd amount of content. Uh, <laughs> I went the uh, the Golden Deer route, and that's the that's oh, yeah. the only one I played. But it took me like sixty five hours just to clear that one route. Mm. That's as much as I would say maybe two full price games, and that's just one route. Uh, so I know people who have like played it for like 200 hours and so. Uh, so I think for intelligence systems, it's okay to like maybe dial it back a bit. You don't have to put like a 200-hour Fire Emblem game out uh, like every other year. Uh, I'm excited about Fire Emblem Engage as well. Even if it's just like a 25-hour game, I'm sure it will be excellent. So yeah, I, oh, hell yeah. I really got into Fire Emblem. Well, I bought the original Fire Emblem game on the GBA when it came to America. Because, uh, of course, like, as a big Smash fan, you're like, who are these handsome boys in Smash with their swords <laughs> and their anime hair? Uh, and then, well, I got Fire Emblem. And I did enjoy it, but I wasn't a fan of the permadeath mechanic. Because um, it just felt like, well, of course, I want everybody. And I don't want anybody yeah, to die. So it's a lot of, like, resetting. So I kind of fell off of that maybe halfway through. Mm. Um, and I kind of ignored Fire Emblem for quite a while because, well, I'm not into the permadeath mechanics, so I'm just not going to play it. But then Awakening came out on 3DS, and they said, okay, we're making it optional. It was like casual mode, I think they called it, where like they, they die in the battle, and they won't come back in that battle. But the next battle, they'll be back. Um, and they still have the permadeath mode in there as well, or the hardcores. And I played it on the casual mode, and I just absolutely loved it. And I thought, well, this is the way to play. And starting from like Fates, yeah, Fire Emblem Fates, I, I rammed it up to hard because if you do play in casual mode, you should probably play on hard mode as well. 
because uh, it is like it's built for permadeath like that's the way the game is designed um, but they allow people to uh, play it casually as well but if you're going to play it casually my recommendation is like bump it up to hard don't be scared <laughs> yeah your guys will come back and that really just opened the floodgates for me and I think a lot of other people because now Fire Emblem it was like on the brink of never existing or not existing again <laughs> Uh, and then with Awakening, with these new additions, kind of modernized, modernizing it, they made it uh, more mainstream and have a wider appeal. And now we're just a few weeks away from, like, looks like the most expensive-looking Fire Emblem game yet. Yeah, I'm really excited for the for Engage as well too. With how they've, yeah, they, they definitely dialed it back from from going to uh, you know Hogwarts teacher mode to classic <laughs> Fire Emblem. <laughs> mm. They look really awesome. What uh. Yeah, what was your next? Oh, and feel free to make like, uh, or really dumb or really good segues. You know, like like speaking of hardcore, and then go to your next one. Yeah, you you can do that too if you want. I forgot to mention that. Okay, no problem. We make really dumb ones all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, my next game is a game I'm not sure you've heard of or many people have heard of. It's not obscure by any means, but I think it's one that is extremely ignored, and. I don't want to say it's my favorite SRPG ever, but it might be. It's definitely like in the top three. And that's Phantom Brave, oh. which is a 2004 game from Nippon Ichi, who is famous for the Disgaea series. Oh, yeah. Have you ever played Phantom Brave? I've heard of it. I know they just, uh, it was back on the PS2, but I, I know that they uh, just brought it to Switch not too long ago with, with another uh, NIS game, and I forget what it was, but it's been on my list for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's weirdly, like, not a well... I think people who have played it like it, but it's not a game that people, like, look back on a lot. Of course, most people think of, like, Disgaea as, like, Nipponichi's, like, mainstream big franchise. their breakout hit. Mm -hmm. um, but from the PS2 era, that's when I really got into, like, strategy RPGs in general. And especially the Nipponichi games. And, like, I, I love Disgaea, and I, I bought, like, all their other games on the PS2. The one that really stood out for me is Phantom Brave. And oddly, it is it's kind of weirdly obscure, but also like it's available on Switch and on Steam. Um, and it's been ported like it was ported from PS2 to Wii and like to PSP. So they're not ignoring it, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. And like you mentioned before, the Switch version, it comes with a Soul Nomad, there we go. which is a completely different game. Uh, so it's kind of weird because, yeah, it's like $40 for those two games. But on the Japanese eShop, you can actually buy each game like individually for $20. But I kind of only want <laughs> Phantom Brave. So I don't want to like pay for like Soul Nomad. No offense. Soul Nomad. <laughs> so I'm hoping it goes on sale like eventually. Um, but yeah, Phantom Brave, uh, at this time that I mentioned before, Nipponichi was putting out like, just, like a ton of SRPGs because they hit it big with Disgaea. And they released Lapusel Tactics, which actually came out before Disgaea in Japan. But they thought, okay, well, we're making money, so let's just uh, slap that uh, on a disc in America. And this was like the actual sequel to Disgaea, or the follow-up to Disgaea. So there's a lot of expectations for uh, this new Nipponichi SRPG. And oddly, it doesn't really build on Disgaea. It is kind of its own thing. And there's so many experimental concepts in it that never appeared before and also never appeared again. So I think Phantom Brave really still stands out today as a truly unique game uh, because it has a really interesting premise in that 
you know, you have your like your guys on the field. That's typical. You're moving them this and there. Uh, but you summon soldiers, not by like putting them like on, on the grid. Um, because you start out as just one character named Marona, who is like a she's like a summoner. And the battle started out with just her on the field. And then the way you summon your army is that there are items scattered across the field, like maybe a book or a cactus or a rock. And you summon your soldiers through items on the field. That's cool. Uh, and this affects their stats. So let's say a rock gives like a 30% boost to defense. Well, then you need to think about, okay, which of my units will benefit the most from like a 30% defense boost? Oh, do you want to buff like a mage who is really weak? Or do you want to buff like a, somebody who already has a high defense? So that way they're borderline invincible. <laughs> So you can kind of have this sort of like uh, decision-making when a battle starts as well. And another odd thing is that they can only be out there for a limited time. Oh. Uh, for example, like certain units, I think like the witch units, they can only be there on the field for three turns and then they disappear. Not forever, but they'll, they won't come back in the battle. So you have to think about, okay, where should I summon them? Also, when should I summon them? What turn should I summon them in? Do I want to start now? Will they even make it to the enemy in the time that uh, their turn limit comes up? Uh, so it's really creative in how they turn this into like its own strategy game, like a meta game of sorts. And to like add on to like the strange systems, there's also no grids. We've been talking a lot about grids. This one has zero grids. Uh, instead, you have a certain number of steps that you can take. And you kind of, it's hard to explain. You have like a circle around your character and you can move anywhere inside that circle. And you can kind of affect this as well, depending on the terrain. Like, let's say you have 60 steps for your character this turn. Well, if you slide on some ice, you can actually go farther with fewer <laughs> steps. Um, or conversely, like if you're in the mud, well, it takes more steps to like go uh, through the mud. So it has such like a really odd like gameplay system. And it's built on like the typical SRBG and Disgaea formula. We're like, yeah, you're hitting enemies and you're leveling up. And it has like the same like class system and everything like that. And another really awesome part of this is that it has one of the best like customization mechanics in gaming, I think. It has a great crafting and fusion system uh, because you can combine and craft everything. Like you can combine weapons into items. Like I mentioned before, there's items on the field in the battle, but you can like take those items from the field and bring them to like your hub. And you can combine items into other items and combine weapons into items and combine characters into items and characters into other characters. So you can just fuse anything into anything else just to make numbers go up uh, or like to like really min-max those stats. So if you like to see numbers go up or numbers go down, you can really have a lot of fun with Phantom Brave. Um, like another awesome example of this is like it has random dungeons. Like the dungeon master, I want to say, is the class. And it's just a guy in your home. And you talk to him and he's like, you can go to a dungeon. Well, you can kind of edit that dungeon by giving it a title. And depending on what the title is, that affects what monsters are in the dungeon. And so you can kind of manipulate, okay, I want to uh, go to this dungeon. And all the enemies are level 200. Oh, shit. But if I give it this, this, this title, it reduces their stats by 99%. Oh, so I'm fighting level 200 enemies, but actually they're like level two strength. So I'm getting like level 200 experience from enemies that are like 
level two power. So you can do like all these like crazy things like that. Then you can also give titles to your characters and that like changes their color, and, like changes their stats. So it's like, you can just go crazy with how you customize your team. It's really nuts. That, that, and oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say that this sounds as insane, just as absolutely nuts as Disgaea is. <laughs> I guess it, it shows though, because yeah, of course they're made by the same people. Yeah. And I really liked the first Disgaea game and I kind of fell off of that series, but I played Disgaea 5 on the Switch mm. and I had some fun with it, but it just got like too dense. Like I was like really unsure about like what enemy is doing what attack and like is my character powerful or not? Like why is it doing like two damage? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but doing 200 damage another time. And it got really dense. And so I kind of prefer, like, the... This game is also... it's It sounds complicated by what I'm explaining, but it's pretty straightforward in, like, the mechanics. It's just that you can do a lot of weird things with them. And the story is, like, it's not as goofy as Disgaea. I don't want to say it's, like, super serious, but it, it is a bit more dramatic than Disgaea. But it's still kind of like, like a slice-of-life story. Like, you're just going through this girl's, like, everyday life. She's, like, a kind of like a it's a bounty hunter or just like a mercenary and she's like a summoner and nobody likes that type of person. So she's kind of like uh, discriminated against. So part of the conflict is like, well, a lot of people don't like you because of who you are, but you're still trying to help people out. Yeah. At the end of the end of the game, you do save the world, but that's not like a big thing. It's just something that kind of casually happens like in the last area. Uh, so most of the game is just like, Oh, you're living your life on this Island. And the game takes place in like this Island archipelago. So it has a really unique uh, setting that a lot of other SRPGs don't. So yeah, Phantom Brave is just totally unique in so many aspects. Just talking about it now makes me want to buy it and play it again. Uh, I don't know if I have like the time to just start it from scratch, but <laughs> I do get the urge every now and then where it's like, I should just start Phantom Brave over and just do like make like a huge team and like make all these crazy characters. Uh, and I really highly recommend it for any SRPG fan out there. And on Steam right now, it's on sale for $4. So oh my God. I, by the time this episode comes out, it might not be on sale. But even if you pay full price, I think it's definitely worth picking up for any strategy RPG fans out there. It's it's a good thing you mentioned that it's on sale on, sale on Steam because I'm going to buy it right now because it sounds awesome. <laughs> it is only $4. Oh, my God. Add to cart right now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely worth $4. Like, it's definitely worth at least that much. Like, I... <laughs> I just looked it up for uh, for Switch as well, and yeah, f- full price forty bucks. That's that's kind of a hard buy, but yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping like, cause other like uh, the Nipponichi games, I forgot what it's called, but it's like collections where they put two games, they kind of slap them together, and they sell them for forty dollars. And yeah, it's like a good deal. Like I think all those games are like at least worth twenty dollars, but. Yeah, I kind of don't want to play Soul Nomad. <laughs> I kind of do because I'm a bit curious about it, but it's like I'm never going to get around to it if I buy like Phantom Brave and Soul Nomad. I'm just going to play Phantom Brave. So I've seen the other Nippon Ichi collections on sale, but not this one yet. So if it goes to 20, I think I might just like buy it again. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to play it all the way through again, but it is tempting. I want to at least on my Switch somewhere just in case. Speaking of... of... I guess, different and weird uh, tactics RPGs. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner 2 Record Breaker, the the 3DS remake, they're definitely a little (laughs) bit different from how other tactics RPGs work because, I mean, you do still move on a grid, but instead of doing your 
like when you attack an enemy on the field it it goes to the normal like Shin Megami Tensei combat where it's like your party of demons and then you know you, oh, okay. you struck an enemy's weakness you know you get an extra turn at the end of the at the end of the thing and then it also has the the sweet sweet demon fusion that other Shin Megami Tensei or even like Persona games it it definitely gets really hard there toward like the middle of the game because there's some pretty ridiculous bosses so I I kind of stopped playing it for like a year and then after a while I came hmm. back to it pretty de- determined that I was going to beat it and it's it's the type of game where where it, it's going to kick your ass a couple of times and kind of take a little bit of trial and error to figure out a good strategy to 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 beat certain bosses but once you do it's it's totally rewarding and what's also super cool is that in in other tactics RPGs you I guess like recruit characters from a guild or they'll like join you along the way in your journey or whatever but the in in Devil Survivor you'll come across different like main characters in the story and they'll join your party but they don't actually fight they just summon the demons to fight so you can hmm. make their party of different kinds of demons and kind of build certain characters based off what demons they have in their party if that makes sense because like some demons are more right. like spellcastery and other ones are more for like brute defense and then there's some that are just about healing and stuff like that mm. and so that's that's pretty cool they give you the freedom to do that and it's and it's also super weird how you get, how you get the demons as well too because uh, other Shin Megami Tensei games or even like Persona you just you talk to demons or personas and you recruit them but in this game you buy them from an auction house and that's kind of cool oh it, the story is pretty cool too because it's just like the world is ending and you're trapped in tokyo and you got to find a way to get out but then there's also these i i wouldn't really call them aliens they're these like i guess interdimensional beings that are wreaking havoc on the entire place and it's nuts it's totally nuts but it's such a good game i I wish it wasn't stuck on the the DS and 3DS, but one of those versions by now I feel like has to be a little bit cheaper. But probably not, probably not something people would would find. I guess an appealing price because they're probably like forty bucks at least, maybe. What's different in the 3DS remake compared to the DS version? Uh, I know that the they added more story content to the 3DS version. Like, there's more, uh, there's more post-game story content, and then there's extra characters in in the main story that kind of add up to that that post-game content toward the end. And then, of course, they also uh, they also tweaked the resolution quite a bit, so it's not stuck. Because, like, you know how when you play a DS game on the 3DS, it's stuck in that like small aspect ratio, or you can like. Yeah. Or you can pull it apart, but it looks kind of gross. Um, mm. They made it so it, it natively looks awesome on the 3DS, and it's a lot more clearer than it was on the uh, on the DS version. Cool. Yeah, there's an like an odd number of DS to 3DS remakes, even though it's like one generation apart. There's like more than yeah, more than you would expect. Like there's this game and like Radiant Historia. Oh yeah. And some of the Mario and Luigi games also have remakes, so it's like weird that. It's, even though it's one generation, they decided, well, we got to make it for 3DS as well. Yeah, Atlas went insane on all those ones because they also did, <laughs> what was it, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey. Ah, uh, yes. And they did the remakes of like Etrian Odyssey and all those. They went 
crazy with the 3DS. Hmm. So do you think there will be like a Switch version of this eventually down the line? Or do you think that is there enough room for this franchise to grow? Or do you feel like, oh, one and two are kind of similar and they're kind of like running out of ideas? I feel like there's there's got to be a way for them to bring it back. If they could bring back Soul Hackers, there's absolutely a way to bring <laughs> back. There's absolutely a way to bring back Devil Survivor and make it fresh, like a brand new experience. Because it's, I feel like, I mean, it'd just be plain easy, you know, do kind of like the same premise a little bit, trap them in Tokyo, but yeah, have it be a different kind of enemy. I don't know. I guess I feel like it'd be pretty easy to bring it back for sure. Yeah. And yeah, someone who lives in Tokyo, I always get a kick out of games that take place in Tokyo, which oddly not a whole lot do, but Atlas definitely likes to set the Shimigami Tensei series in Tokyo. So it's cool to see like these neighborhoods I'm familiar with. Oftentimes in the game, they're just like destroyed or whatever. So it's hard to like differentiate them. Uh, but it's fun to see like the street names and like the neighborhoods pop up that I've actually been to. I, uh, I guess this isn't Tokyo, but I, I like, and this isn't related to our topic in any way, but I like when, uh, what it, well, I forget what town it is, but uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. I really love just uh, walking through. Oh, yes, each... Yokohama? Yeah, that's what it is, Yokohama. I like walking through, just, just walking around town and seeing all the little neighborhoods, like the, like the little densely packed, like, apartment neighborhoods with all of their air conditioners sticking out the windows, or, like, you go to the downtown mm. areas near the, the bridge with the, uh, with all the other little apartment buildings, and it's so fun to walk around those and share the little neighborhoods and think, like, wow, people, people might live here, but they don't because it's a video game, mm. but they still might. <laughs> yeah. Tokyo is weirdly like a like an underrepresented like setting for a game, even though a lot of games like say they take place in Tokyo, or like in Japan in general, they don't really take advantage of like the the strengths and like uh, atmosphere of Japan outside of like a superficial level. So it's cool that yeah, like the Like a Dragon series and yeah, Atlas a bit, especially with Persona, they try to make it a bit more authentic and a bit more real. Oh yeah, I wish they need more games that take place in Iowa. Damn it. Just that'd be the most boring game yeah, ever. Persona, Persona Six in Iowa. That's a... <laughs> just oh my gosh, it would just be there'd just be a whole bunch of Midwesterners going, "Hey, you, you spilled your walking taco, eh?" <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The A thing is more Minnesota, but it's it's the same thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about uh, a different strategy RPG, like uh, Shin Megami Shin Megami Tensei. De- Devil Survivor. Sorry, I always get Devil Summoner and Devil Survivor, and Devil Digital Devil Saga. Oh yeah, all the names are kind of like mixed up. They really are. But similar to uh, Devil Survivor, where it is a strategy RPG based off of a RPG. My next game is also the same idea, where it is a strategy RPG based off an RPG. And that game is Pokemon Conquest, oh. 2012 game from developed by a company we've already mentioned, Koei Tecmo. Nice who eventually would go on to help make three houses. Uh, but this game is a Pokemon SRPG. That's the uh, pitch of it. However, uh, it's more akin to, well, like the actual game is like a crossover of two different franchises. It's Pokemon and Nobunaga's Ambition, which is a classic uh, Koei Tecmo, or I guess Koei at the time, a strategy game, like a, like a grand scale strategy game. Mm-hmm where you are like a warlord and you're trying to take over all of Japan. And by doing that, you need to build an army. You need to assign officers to your army and gather resources and all that stuff. 
And a lot of that has been like really toned down, of course, for this game, because it's more on the Pokemon SRBG side than the like uh, country management side. However, there is still a bit of that is in there as well. That's so it is a text RPG with a mix of grand strategy. Have you ever played it before? I've I've heard of it, and it's been um it's another game that's been on my wish list for a while, but I've never actually played it. It does it does sound awesome though. Yeah, like Phantom Brave, I would consider it quite underrated. It's definitely one of the best Pokemon spinoffs, I would say. And some of the uh, interesting aspects of it is that it takes place in like ancient Japan. Uh, it doesn't say Japan. I think the place is called like Ranase is like the name of the land, but it's Japan. Uh, they're just like changing names. Uh, it's kind of weird because they are using real historical figures like Nobunaga and like uh, Hideyoshi, but they are just like in some fake fantasy land, but the people are real, oddly enough. And the actual tactics RPG uh, aspect is that your units are, of course, the Pokemon. You're moving Pokemon on the field. Uh, and each Pokemon is associated with, like, a, a trainer. Uh, so it's kind of like this weird, like, dual system where you have a Pokemon and a trainer that you've both recruited, and you kind of have to match them together. Oftentimes, some people have just, like, one perfect match, and you just want to, like, okay, this person, their perfect match is with Eevee, so I'm going to give them Eevee. Uh, but sometimes it can be a bit more customizable. Like, this person is good with fire, so I'll give him, like, a variety of different fire Pokemon. And a lot of the Pokemon concepts are in the game. Like, you catch wild Pokemon through SRBG tactics. Uh, and there is, like, the super effective uh, type abilities. Like, if you use a water attack on a fire Pokemon, it will be for more damage. So it has the SRPG kind of mold. But it has, like, a lot of Pokemon conventions are in there. It has a really clean UI and nice graphics, and the art style is really nice because it looks like, yeah, like Pokemon Samurai, which is a really cool aesthetic. And it is fun to see like all these historical figures kind of decked out in like some sort of like Pokemon look. Uh, so if you like Japanese history, it is kind of funny to see, oh, okay, Tokugawa is like, where, like dressed like this Pokemon, which sort of suits his personality. Uh, and like the Hideyoshi, he was really associated with like monkeys. In Japan, and he's of course he has a monkey Pokemon, uh, which is really funny. So it's like really clever how they tie in the Pokemon idea with real people. Um, and like I mentioned before, there is like a grand strategy aspect of like you conquer like castles, and when you have those castles, you kind of have to assign like some of your like vassals or your team members to that castle because they can also be invaded. A lot of times with strategy RPGs, you have like the same team every time. And you're just making them stronger and stronger. But here, since you're trying to take over a whole country, you often have to like split up your teams. So you have to think about, okay, well, who needs to go to this place and who needs to go to this place? And if this spot gets invaded, who is good enough to defend it? Uh, so you have like multiple teams at the same time. So that's a more interesting aspect than a lot of other SRPGs. And I think it also has like one of the best final boss battles ever at least in, on paper, because uh, I guess spoilers for Pokemon Conquest, <laughs> this 10-year-old game that's only on the DS. But the final battle is you've battled uh, Nobunaga. And not just him, but all his generals, and they all are fighting on top of a castle. So you're fighting kind of like the strongest generals in Japanese history in like a big Pokemon battle on top of a castle. And then Arceus comes down, who's like the god of Pokemon, and then he teams up with you. So it's like you and God are fighting like 
like these like iconic Japanese generals on a castle, which is just an amazing final boss battle. And I always really hope like make another Pokemon Conquest. Uh, but it is, I don't know if it sold that well because it came out like a year after the 3DS came out. And it's like a really weird concept on paper. Like not people, people don't know like what Nobunaga's ambition is. Uh, so like, oh, it's Pokemon and Nobunaga's ambition. That's not like a really good selling point <laughs> unless you're just like a nerd like me who loves Pokemon and like loves like Japanese history. Uh, but it is like a really solid game. It is kind of easy because it is like a Pokemon game, but it has a lot of interesting like SRPG mechanics that I think any SRPG fan would like. And it's just like really different from most other SRPGs and Pokemon titles. So I highly recommend it. And either like a sequel or just even like a remake on Switch, I would buy day one. No questions asked. That would be super cool. Do they do they use the, the bottom screen, the touch screen for any, I guess, like touch screen exclusive stuff? Or would they would they be able to just yeah, I, mash it into one screen and have it work just fine? I believe like the second screen is just like the map. So it's like really easy to like uh, convert that to one screen. So yeah, there's nothing stopping them. And like Koei Tecmo, they're buddy-buddy with Nintendo recently. Like uh, they were working on Fire Emblem. They've worked on other projects as well. So like assign them to this. I don't I don't care about <laughs> Fire Emblem Warriors or like uh, Zelda Warriors or Xenoblade mm. Warriors. Just make Pokemon Conquest 2 instead. I'd absolutely play a Pokemon SRPG or, or tactics game or whatever you want to call it. It's, that sounds awesome. I, I was looking up a few screenshots while you were uh, while you were talking about how they generals were paired with pokemon that they look like or uh pokemon they dress like and I like that nobunaga has this black rayquaza and then yes i believe he has like zekrom first but then he gets like the the black rayquaza like during the final boss battle so oh. he's like ramping up his game well uh my next pick borrow it kind of borrows a little bit of uh of what you said that pokemon conquest does but Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2. I I suck. I've never beaten Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Advance for that matter. But I've put entirely too many hours into Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2 and I'm just hmm. going to call it I'm, I'm just going to call it Final Fantasy Tactics A2 because it's the title's too long, but yeah. <laughs> unlike the first two Tactics games, the story basically doesn't exist. The story does not matter at all but what's super rad about about FFTA2 because again the title's too long basically you you're the leader of this big guild and because you're the leader of the guild you recruit different members from different uh regions of the world and and basically you I guess like the whole point of it is to send people out to do quests and of course doing quests you get experience and items and everything you need to, to advance further in the game but what's really really cool is how customizable each of your units is mm. what is it? I, for, I forget the names of any of the races but uh, other than humans of course or, or humes because they're an evilist they're called humes <laughs> but basically each each character is a different race there's what humes there's the cat people there's uh, there, there's like five races five or six races and then, of course, each There's race... There's the, ra the rabbit people, and then, like, a floppy-eared rabbit people. Yep. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar. I can see them in my head, but I also <laughs> don't know any of their names. And then there's the the ones that have, like, the, the long crocodile mouth, and then 
Oh, yes. Then <laughs> and there's a bunch of others, but yes, each different race has their own like exclusive classes, like only the, the crocodile mouth guys can be monks and then other classes, but you, your characters will start off with one class, and then what you do is you'll have them learn abilities from pieces of equipment they have equipped, like they'll learn so-and-so warrior skills from this sword and this hat they have equipped, and then once you run out of equipment to use, or sorry, once you run out of equipment that, that gives you any new skills for that for that class, you can switch them to a different class and then go buy more equipment for that other class. And then uh, you can also kind of mix and match classes as well because you'll have a main class and a subclass. When you're out on the battlefield, you'll have all these abilities from your main class as well as your secondary class. So if you, you could create some super powerful mixes by combining, say, like... Uh, a fighter and a monk. What's also really cool is kind of like in, in Pokemon Conquest where you have to split up your party to go defend castles and bring some to battle. You can, instead of manually doing each quest yourself, you can you can send characters, basically dispatch your, your characters to go do quests on their own while you go do something else. And yeah, of course, if, if, they're, little, if they're little weaklings, little nobodies that you send to go do that quest, of course, they're going to fail and come back and, and have nothing but if you send if you send I guess like a few good dudes with them because of course you don't want to you know send all of your good dudes out to go do a quest and then you go do a quest on your own and you're stuck with all your weakling guys and you fail but uh yeah there's just there's so much to do in that game there's just a bajillion quests to do and I just I love games that you customize like mix and match classes together to make the perfect uber classes yeah i'm also quite a big fan of final fantasy tactics a2 uh, like you mentioned before like it has a really interesting like <laughs> system and in how you uh, give abilities to your party members and you can like you mentioned before make some really broken characters uh one of my favorites is like the uh, summoner and if you give them red mage abilities uh especially double cast which lets them cast twice so you can do two summons at the same time, uh, and this sub or this saps up all your MP, but it's <laughs> absurdly powerful because you just did two summons at the same time. Uh, so you can do just so many fun things like that with your characters, and give people like really wacky abilities that they really shouldn't have. But if you give them this staff to learn like whatever magic, well now they learn it and they could use it with their other class that has nothing to do with it. Uh, and yeah, I like all the different like mages. There's a green mage as well, which focuses on buffs, like haste and like slow. That's a really interesting concept of like, okay, we're splitting up every concept into its own mage, which is something that also Triangle Strategy, which I played earlier this year, they don't have like a general mage. They have like a fire mage and an ice mage. Uh, and they do have like a red mage character, but it's like this person can't do like fire magic as well as like the fire person. So I like the concept of Okay, you can only if you are a mage, you can't do everything. You can only learn this one thing, so like learn it and learn it well. And everyone has like these cool costumes. Like the green mage oh, has yeah. like a beret, and the time mages have like these weird, like uh, like giant robes. And of course, like you know, red mages, black mages, they have their iconic outfits. So I like like having these very specific classes, which is something I think A two is really good at. Oh well, yeah, we're at the halfway point. Do you want to take a quick ad break? Sure, no problem. All right. Well, yeah. 
So, this episode was brought to us today by Excuses Are Us. Buckle in, we're in for a good one here. Have you ever wanted to call in sick to work, get out of going to your cousin's wedding, or talk your way out of going to see your grandma on her birthday? Sounds like you need Excuses Are Us. Excuses Are Us knows that life is full of god-awful, soul-draining events, and that sometimes a good excuse is hard to come by. After so many violent concerts or annoying siblings staying the night, your brain can get pretty numb, and coming up with a good excuse at the right time is pretty difficult. But Excuses Are Us is specially trained staff working 24-7 to come up with detailed excuses 100% guaranteed to get you out of anything. You got a niece who wants you to come to her big ballet recital while anonymously calling a bomb threat to the theater. Oh, Aunt Myrna wants you to come over for dinner? We'll call her and tell her that you've been kidnapped and demand a $1 million ransom. Meeting your boyfriend's parents for the first time? Oh, turns out you have jury duty. Excuses R Us is so confident that they can get you out of any situation that if their excuse fails, you don't owe them a dime. In fact, they'll pay you depending on how excruciating the event was that you had to go to. Give them a shot. You've got nothing to lose except maybe some brain cells and a small amount of sanity. Excuses R Us. Life is short, but don't waste it on things that suck. And we're back. <laughs> okay, my fourth pick, very similar to your last pick. We're going back in time, though. And my fourth pick is Final Fantasy Tactics, period. No A, no A2, just the, the original <laughs> one. Uh, so I think why do people one. like tactics games? It's because, probably because they played Final Fantasy Tactics. So this is the like uh, the spark that really got the genre uh, started for a lot of people, at least in the West. I think this is many people's first experience with SRPGs, because yeah, we didn't have Fire Emblem over here, and we didn't even have Tactics Ogre, and even things like Landgrasser also did not come over here until the PlayStation era. So this was really the start of the SRPG genre in the West for many, many, many people. And it's a game that still holds up really well today. And I'm hoping they remake it sooner than later. There's always been rumors like, oh, they're they're going to bring a new edition to Switch every other day. But I'm hoping next year will be the year because everyone is waiting on it. So it is the 1997 Tactics RPG from Yasumi Matsuno, who I mentioned earlier. He worked on Tactics Ogre, then came over to Square and made this game, which you could almost call Tactics Ogre 2. But there's enough different for this game to make it its own thing and i would consider it overall to be a better game than tactics ogre for many of the reasons like we talked about in a2 is that the class system or the job system is really unique and really interesting all the jobs are really unique because you can customize the jobs to such a high degree in terms of like combining abilities and for tactics ogre a lot of the classes are pretty much what you would expect like you have your warrior you have your like, mage and they're pretty much like your rote classes. But here in, in Final Fantasy Tactics, you have a lot of interesting ones that are tied in more with iconic Final Fantasy classes. You've got your Dark Knight, which is really good. You've got your Samurai and your Ninja. And you also have uh, Calculator. I believe in the remake, they called it like Arithmetician or something. But in the original game, it was the Calculator, uh, which is like a math mage. And so you can do a lot of fun things like we talked about with A2 is like combining abilities and making broken characters and whatnot. And it has fantastic graphics and art design. It has the isometric pixel view, which was in Tactics Ogre, but I think it looks better here. 
And I think every game since has pretty much just copied what Final Fantasy Tactics looks like in terms of how they like space out their grid and how they design the character proportions. In in Tactics Ogre, they were quite chibi. Here they're a bit less chibi, but still like fairly chibi. I think the chibi ratio is like perfected in Tactics here. And there's a fun mix of like uh, unique classes and generic classes, like characters you can just name after your friend or your uh, like your boss or whoever. Or like uh, story characters as well, like uh, of course like Ramza and Orlando, who is maybe the most famous and or infamous because he's quite broken, uh, but everyone loves him because he's so strong. So it's a good mix of like, okay, I want to use like these story characters, these unique characters, and these unique characters also have their like interesting specific class as well, even though they might seem similar to like a knight or a mage, they have something a little different with them, so they're not exactly the same. And it has a really interesting story that's, I think, different from a lot of other Final Fantasy games. It's a bit lighter on the, the fantasy aspect. Uh, similar to Tactics Ogre, it's more grounded, where it's about, you know, personal relationships and, like, these alliances and, like, politics and religion and all these things like that. Less about, like, oh, there's a big dragon coming to destroy everything. And it's just really, like, the example of what makes a Tactics game great. <laughs> And pretty much every tactics game since has been copying this game, so I had to give it a shout out here. I, I do need to play that game. I know it's I know it's on mobile phones, and it's on PSP. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yes. The the original it was on PlayStation, so I played it there. Although technically it was on my PlayStation yeah. Two, but it was a PS One game, and then they remade it uh, on the PSP. It's called War of the Lions, and it has a bunch of new additions, like more classes. The script is totally changed because the original script has a lot of like, I, I would suppose like maybe mistranslations or a lot of blunt dialogue. And the War of the Lions edition has much more flowery and much more poetic dialogue, which is a bit controversial. Some people think it goes way too far into like the Shakespearean uh, die thou kind of stuff. Uh, it is kind of interesting. Like it is a unique take on gaming dialogue. And I think it fits that game. And I've only played a little bit of the War of Lions edition uh, because I did play it on, like, the iPad, like you mentioned before, the mobile versions. Mm -hmm. But, like, you need buttons for these games to, like, <laughs> maneuver people. Even though it is turn-based, so it's not, like, Twitch reflexes. Mm -hmm. You know, I want buttons. So I played it on iPhone and iPad, but I get a few missions in and, like, you know, I'm having a great time, but it's just, like, too cumbersome to use. <laughs> so I've been waiting for a modern-day port with buttons. And... There's been rumors like, oh, Final Fantasy Tactics Remaster is coming to Switch and PS and PS5 or PS4 uh, because of like the NVIDIA leak from, uh, I guess, a year or so oh, yeah. ago that leaks a ton of stuff. And like it leaked the Tactics Ogre remake and Final Fantasy Tactics remake is on that list. So hopefully it is coming. And I think I think it would have to be coming sooner than later because like we have Triangle Strategy and we have Tactics Ogre Reborn. Those are two big tactics games and i think okay well if you release Ta final fantasy tactics first i think more people will buy that over triangle strategy or tactics over reborn so get tactics over reborn out there now and get people buying it and then release the remake of final fantasy tactics or remaster of final fantasy tactics because that game sells itself yeah uh, i think if you released like uh, final fantasy tactics and the next month tactics ogre well nobody's going to buy tactics ogre 
Uh, but if you like space it out a bit more, okay, now is the time for FFT to come to Switch. So I'm hoping 2023. <laughs> I, def- I definitely buy that one day one also. I, I've heard a lot about how good the story is. It's It sucks that the story and the Advance and Advance 2 is basically not there at all, but I, yeah. Yeah, I, I played Advance 2 and I loved it. It's a great game. I don't remember anything about the story at all. <laughs> I think there was a book uh, and I remember the final boss battle was like on the boss. Like he turns into like a big dragon and then you kind of like move your guys on him, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but otherwise, I was just, just moving people on grids and I have no idea. I cannot tell you any character's name, but I do love that game, and it is a great game, oh but I don't remember anything from the, from the story. I couldn't tell you anybody's name either. But for FFT, uh, I remember like Ramza, I remember Agrius and Orlando, all those characters. So it is a really solid story that holds up today. <laughs> oh yeah, Ram- Ramza is the only one I knew, <laughs> the only one I know from that game, just because my a good buddy of mine played it back in the day, but... You know, it's a good thing you brought up Triangle Strategy because that was one of my picks, and I, I I might be jumping the gun with it because I haven't beaten it yet, but I am pretty far in it, and I do think it it definitely holds a candle to other strategy RPGs and does things a lot different from other ones. Yes, that, I have uh, played it, and I did complete I, it. I, I assume uh, you played it too, just right? one path or multiple paths, but so I just far. did the one I wanted, uh, and I did finish it earlier this year. Awesome. I I bought it the day it released, and then I stopped playing it for the longest time because a bunch of other stuff came out, and I completely forgot about it. But but yeah, it, it definitely is really good. The, the story is super interesting as well too, which is good because there's lots of little choices you can make that definitely affect the story, which I like. I like that each of the characters really feels unique. Like instead of instead of other tactics games where they give you uh, like I mentioned earlier, like three characters of the same class, and you just kind of shape them on your own. Each character has like their own sp- specific, unique class and play style. Like like you mentioned earlier, with the one uh, main fire mage or pyromancer, and then there's the one guy who's just an ice mage. Uh, but there's also characters like like mm. one of my favorites is Eridor, the <laughs> uh, the the gruff wine love and shield bearer, and he's just there to just disrupt enemies and be like hey attack me and he's pretty cool uh anna the assassin i love her and yeah no two characters well i shouldn't say no two characters play alike because the mages are just hey cast a spell in this plus pattern but for the most part the characters all feel pretty unique uh, especially with how they get a lot of backstory they actually get pretty fleshed out as you go throughout the story and i also really liked how they handled one of my least favorite parts of Fire hmm. Emblem is is the, the weapon degradation. <laughs> Maybe that's just me being a big old baby, but I kind of don't like that. But yeah, in, in Triangle Strategy, it's just like they have the same weapon over and over. And then uh, when you get to a certain point, you can upgrade their weapon level and then give them a little different passive perks and stuff like that. That's really cool. The uh, the class upgrades, I guess, are yeah, they're, they're pretty cool too because they, you know, you of course, uh, increase your level cap and then learn new abilities and stuff. But it wasn't as like mind blowing as some of the some of the class upgrades were in like Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics Advance Two. And yeah, I thought 
I thought when Triangle Strategy first came out, it was just going to be some boring, generic thing. You know, it's just, I thought it was going to be another Tactics clone, like just another Final Fantasy Tactics clone. They were just kind of plopping out there to live up to the hype of other Final Fantasy or, uh, Strategy RPGs. But no, they did a really good job with it. And it plays very smoothly and everything just feels meaty and great and I think it's a it's a great game definitely yeah I agree it's a really solid SRPG and it is a really interesting game in that it's both really innovative and also really traditional uh, because it takes a lot of ideas from classic SRPGs like your class system and like you know how you level up and how you equip things but they streamline it to such like how can I say like they streamline it to such a degree where it feels like very modern and where you don't have to worry about it so much, mm-hmm. which might some people might be turned off. Like some people like to think about, oh, what weapon should I equip to this guy? What armor, what gloves, what ring should I equip to this guy? But you don't have to focus on that so much. Um, there's still some customization with your characters, but it's more about thinking who are you going to bring on the battle instead of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm going to level up this guy to level 25 and teach him these four magic attacks. Instead, you're thinking, okay, well, this field, I can maybe block this part of the field with this tank character. And, oh, I can see there's a route behind the enemy, so I'm going to send my spy there, so I'm going to bring this person. And, okay, these people are high up, so maybe I need to bring my mages or my archers. And, like you mentioned before, each character is really different from each other. And there's some really, like, unique classes as well. One of my favorites is Piccoletta. I'm not sure if you have her yet. Do you have Piccoletta? Oh, is she the juggler? Yes, the juggler. Yep. She's like, a, I guess, a circuit. Uh, yeah, a juggler or like a circus person, yeah. Uh, which yeah, not, not a common class in a lot of SRPGs. But what she can do is like she can make a decoy, kind of like a clone of herself. It's like controlled by the AI. And so you technically make like two people and then one person goes off and does whatever. And so that's really awesome for like distracting people because she doesn't do a whole lot of damage, but she can just like distract enemies, uh, which is really fun. And also, once you level her up, once they destroy the, the clone, like all these like balls fall out of her and that like damages like an AOE damage attack, which is really funny because <laughs> you're, cool. like, you're just destroying people with juggling balls. Yeah. And like the spy is really awesome, Anna, because she can turn invisible and like poison people and do all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. So all the classes are like based on your iconic jobs and classes you see in other SRPGs. Like you have like your knight. You have your mage, but they're like streamlined and there's a different take on them. They're not generic at all. They have something a bit special about them. So it really is super accessible for people who are not into SRPGs because you don't have to worry so much about grinding or like min-maxing. You just need to think more about strategy and also utilizing your character's abilities because they all have like really cool abilities mm-hmm. and it's really fun to use each one. So, like, every character has, like, something cool about them. Even though there's some that I prefer more than others, they all have, like, something that's really unique that I've never seen in, like, another SRPG. And, like you mentioned before about the story, it is quite a good story. It's, yeah, quite grounded. It is similar to, like, Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre, where it's mostly about, like, personal relationships and politics. And something I really enjoyed about it is how grounded it is. Because the main conflict is about salt. Would you think that's kind of silly? It's like, who cares about salt when other games are fighting <laughs> about like gods and like uh, magic crystals and whatnot? Mm-hmm. But, you know, historically, salt is like a really important resource. And people have gone to wars for like these common resources like 
like cinnamon and nutmeg and things like that. Uh, and they explain it pretty well. They use it, you know, to preserve their food and they use it also for like, uh, like crafting and alchemy. So it is like a really important item. And the story, I, I won't spoil it since it, since you haven't completed it yet, but it stays pretty grounded the entire time. Nobody suddenly turns into a dragon or anything like that. <laughs> unlike in, unlike in like Fire Emblem, where you're just waiting for somebody to turn into a dragon. So it does like the totally opposite thing. And yet the story, it is, there's a lot of cutscenes, which is a common criticism about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely say there's too many cutscenes. And it's kind of weirdly structured where like you have like the world map and then you can like go and see cutscenes. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you could chop out most of those to be on, or maybe 30% of those. Because a lot of them yeah. are like, there's uh, like a guy in the castle and he's talking to somebody else and they're being very mysterious. And they're like, mm, my plan is, is working. And then that's the end of the scene. Where it's <laughs> like, well, I, I didn't really need, need that info. I already know this mm -hmm. guy is fairly evil. And they really load like, uh, they front load a lot of the information. It's like, this character is this character and this country is this country and this blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, okay, who is who? Am I ever going to figure this out? But <laughs> once they start like killing people and once like chaos happens, you start to understand, like, okay, who is important and who is not? Uh, and by the end of the game, it is a story that I was invested in. And I really enjoyed the ending I got. Uh, and I looked at all the other endings as well, and they're all pretty interesting. So definitely a really strong contender for uh, one of the better stories in the genre. Another thing I really like, too, is that for for one, I like how much backstory and, and like I guess, lore there is to the story mm. as well, too, because you're always gathering new notes about, like, was it the history of Hyzant or, like, the history of so-and-so? Mm. But then there's also those, those awesome points where uh, before, what is it yet? Yeah, but before you make a vote to do something, you have to go around the town and, and talk to people and figure out little pieces of information that'll help you, that'll help you convince people to go to whatever side you want to do. Like then you'll you'll go back to the, go back to your court and to try to talk people into doing what you want to do, and you have to use those pieces of those pieces of information that you got from you know exploring and talking to NPCs to to affect the story and everything. I, I thought that was pretty cool too, because usually when you go talk to before, if you don't have that information and you talk to that person, they'll have, you know, those little lock symbols and mm. you're stuck with one kind of poopy option. But yeah, then you, you go talk to the NPCs to learn more information, get notes and all that stuff. You go back and talk to people in court and you'll have better dialogue options and you'll better convince them to, to do what you want to do. Or I, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I'm sure. Um, Maybe other people thought I was just kind of, eh, but no, I thought it was cool. Yeah, and I think they're also thinking of the same thing that Fire Emblem figured out is like, okay, between battles, what should you do? Should you just go to the next battle or should you have a hub or whatever? And Triangle Strategy, they do have like a small, like, I guess like a tent that you can kind of walk around in. And they have those more like JRPG kind of field exploration areas where you're exploring the town and talking to people. So it is kind of funny that, okay, people are trying to figure out what to do between battles. And everyone has their own different take on it. Oh, and uh, we haven't mentioned that this game is uh, in HD 2D, which is this oh. very gorgeous visual style. Oh, my God, yeah. It is, yeah, especially when uh, when you're looking at fires. Yeah, and I like the uh, the blood puddles or, like, the blood stains when somebody dies. Because oh, yeah. it, it takes a second for it to load because somebody will get hit, and you're like, okay, maybe they got knocked out. 
and then this huge like blood puddle comes out from under them and you're thinking okay well they're not coming back one of my um one of the coolest things ever too is the water like the water is it looks really good it's really reflective and it's really you, you can see the little individual ripples in the water and stuff like that that it looks really gorgeous in that game yeah like i wouldn't mind if like every 2d game looked like this i know some people are kind of tired of it but i i'm not so no. keep making hd 2d games please especially when are we getting that that goddamn dragon quest 3 hd 2d remake i want that so bad i love dragon I, quest Give i'm me hoping dragon for quest 3. i'm hoping for 2023 as well like if we get final fantasy tactics and dragon quest 3 remake on the switch next year i'll be extremely happy uh but we'll see okay so my fifth game is one we've already talked about but i there's still plenty to talk about with this one is fire emblem three houses uh that we mentioned earlier the 2019 game from Intelligent Systems and Koei Tecmo. Uh, like you said, I think this is definitely my favorite Fire Emblem game. Uh, I loved it from start to finish. And some of the things we didn't talk about, I really like the three different factions uh, because they all have their own different unique personalities and backstory and like goals. Because the first part of the game is like you're at school and then a war happens. And I don't want to spoil like what why the war happens, but it definitely caught me off guard. Like I did not think the game was go this direction. Uh, it's very ambitious storytelling. I would, I would say, and it's what's interesting is that like, you can kind of see where the story is going, depending on which club you're in. And if you're in golden deer, you're kind of like left out in the cold, uh, because like some other people are doing these crazy things that you're not aware of. But some people have said, Oh, actually, if you join like this club or this faction, you can kind of see that story that story element coming, but I didn't see it coming at all because I didn't have that information in my team. So that mm. kind of like everyone has their own different experience is really cool. And you can recruit from other houses. So if there's somebody you like in another house, well, if you talk to them and sweeten them up enough, they will join your side. And I was able to get all the characters I wanted uh, by the time, you know, the war broke out. Mm. So it, it was good that I didn't have to murder anybody that I really liked. I just murdered people who, I was just so, so on or actively disliked like Hubert, who I don't care about at all and was looking forward to destroying him. And like, yeah, like I said before, there's a good pace between battles and relaxing at the school. You can like uh, sing in the chorus or go fishing or pick up somebody's lost teddy bear and give it to them. And yeah, there's a great degree of customization with classes because, you know, typically in Fire Emblem, the only way you're leveling up is in the battle. You have to think carefully about who gets like the, uh, the level up, the last hit. But here you can take classes and you can really tool characters to go down a specific road. Like, okay, in the future, I really want this person to be a flyer. So they're going to take these flying classes. And then eventually when I can level them up or I can switch their classes, they're going to be like the best flyer the world has ever seen. And what's really great is about the classes and customization is that you can really like switch people as well. For example, I had Lorenz and he was like a, mostly like a cavalier or like a cavalry person. But then I started noticing, well, he's learning some like dark magic abilities. So typically in a Fire Emblem game, you can't just switch somebody to like a dark mage at the end of the game. But here, since there's so many opportunities to level up your, your skills, well, I just put him in like the magic classes. And by the end of the game, he was a pretty competent, like a magician as well. So it's really cool that you can just like switch and customize people that granularly. 
And there's also like a bit of like game breaking stuff you can do as well, such as the class exams. It's like an actual exam that you take. And some people have like a percentage, uh, like a possibility of passing. In past Fire Emblem games, if you weren't level 20 and you weren't like S plus in the skill, you weren't leveling up. But here, okay, you're level 18 and your ability is B. So you have about a 40% chance of passing. But hey, you could still pass it and you could get that class way earlier than you would suspect. So that kind of stuff is really awesome. And yeah, the, the story was something I was really invested in. In other Fire Emblem games, it kind of feels like it takes place in just some nebulous region. <laughs> it's just like random fake Europe or whatever. But here, each area feels very distinct. And I know like, okay, I know like, uh, like Claude's region. I know why it's different from Dimitri's region and so forth. And so there's a real sense of like uh, place and a sense of history as well. And I was really interested in the lore of the world, which I haven't really been in the past Fire Emblem games. Because yeah, like I mentioned before, a lot of Fire Emblem stories is so-and-so is a dragon. And yeah, in Fire Emblem Three Houses, there is somebody who is a dragon. A bit unexpected. But they still keep that like wacky. Everyone is a dragon. And then also like this real like grounded story. And they combine it really well. So I'm a bit curious, like, oh, is Fire Emblem Engage going to be as serious as Three Houses? Because everyone in Engage is wearing like a ballerina outfit and it's like looks really colorful. But we'll see. But Fire Emblem Three Houses, it was my game of the year in 2019. It's definitely my favorite Fire Emblem game. And I think it's easily one of the best Switch games. A console that has an amazing library. So that is saying a lot. Like sometimes I, I wish the character animations weren't so stiff and robotic, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can I can look past that for the most part because there's just so much I love about it. Like they they really didn't need to put in those little tea parties that you can have with your uh, students, <laughs> but I mean, pff, hey, why not? And, and you can, you can have lunch with them, and you you can you can buy them flowers for their birthday and stuff. My next pick it's it's definitely my favorite strategy RPG ever made, and I I hope you've at least heard about it but it's Steam World Heist. Have you heard about it? I have heard about it, but unfortunately I haven't played it. Steam World Heist, it's totally different from like any other strategy RPG we've ever talked about. It's it's entirely in space because uh, I don't know if you've ever played Steam World Dig 2, but the, the world exploded, so there's no more world. Everybody's in space. And basically all the characters you play as are, are these different robots or, or Steam bots because they're all powered by Steam. And the main currency is water because they run off the steam. We gotta have water to <laughs> to live and everything. But and basically, each character, kind of like like triangle strategy, has their own like play style and unique unique personality and their own unique like speech patterns as well too. Because like there's one guy, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot his name, but he's one of the first guys you get, and he talks like a, like an old sea pirate. He's always like ah, you know, me mateys and stuff like that. But then <laughs> there's a uh, this more cowboy, like, hick one where she's talking like this. I mean, they don't have, like, actual audible voices, but they have uh, just, like, speech bubbles, and you can kind of tell from there. They, uh, basically, each character, two characters of each class, but each character plays differently from the other. Like, there will be two centuries, but one is based more on, like, sitting still and, you know, doing more damage as they aim, and the other one is more, like, shoot as much as you can while, while staying in your one spot, and and instead of, of course, being like swords and magic and stuff like that, it's all about um, aiming your guns in different angles because it's, it's all 2D. It's like a 2D side scroller kind of, but you'll basically certain guns you can 
ricochet your bullets off of walls or other surfaces to get a, a better better shot at somebody whether it's you know, you're bouncing a bullet off of like a barrel behind them to hit them in the in the head or something but of course then there's like rocket launchers and grenade launchers <clears throat> that don't ricochet they just explode on contact and just kill everything what's really cool <laughs> is that you can sort of build your characters a little bit like 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 how i said each character kind of plays differently like there's there's one century who um some of his abilities that he learns as he levels up make him better better suited to use or what they're called like heavy weapons or explosive weapons as opposed to the other century who his abilities make him more attuned to using long range like sniper weapons so you'll build this one heavy dude with grenade launchers or like a rocket launcher and Maybe like a grenade and like some armor because he's probably going to be up front and taking a bunch of damage. But then there's other characters that are more for doing like a, like a run and gun kind of thing. You know, just spraying some bullets and then booking it, take cover. And oh, it's, it's just such a good game. It's, it's I think, 15 or 20 bucks on the Switch eShop. And then it's also on the 3DS still. And either way you play it, it's really good. I mean, the Switch has definitely better visuals and then give you that that dlc with the game for only like 25 or no sorry 15 or like 20 bucks or something but it's it's absolutely worth your time it's it sounds kind of meh because it's 2d and it's robots but it's it's really good i, I promise you i'm looking at it now and it's four dollars on switch right now so maybe i should uh, dive in definitely if it's five dollars absolutely it, it'll they'll probably you get at least like 30 hours of content out of it and then it's probably not the most replayable thing on the planet but i I still come back to it every now and again just because it's so fun yeah and i think the steam world gimmick is every game is like a new genre i believe so this is their take on like a strategy game yep yep and then the the most recent one they had was uh steam world quest or it was like a card game slash turn-based rpg but yeah heist is absolutely the best for me because i it's just so sweet to hit those ricochets or like just blast apart like three enemies in a group and sometimes the bosses are a little difficult but of course once you figure out a good strategy to take them out it's super fun but but there's there's a lot of stuff in the environment like there'll sometimes sometimes like a a machine gun like sentry gun will spawn in and you'll have to move your guy from the spot they're in to a different one so of course they don't get shot and die or like certain missions there will be like a countdown and once the countdown goes from like you know five to zero of course enemies will spawn in so you'll have to be quick about moving through the ship grabbing loot and leaving and yeah for, for five dollars definitely play it yeah it seems really interesting and that, yeah out of all the other steam world games this one definitely sounds like the one that's most up my alley oh yeah and uh steam world uh dig 2 is also really good that's uh more metrovania but we're not talking about that today damn it we're talking about heist and the tactical rpgs oh dig 2 is also five dollars but yeah did you have any honorable mentions or Hmm, honorable mentions i think you talked about a lot of them like i love a2 i love triangle strategy what are some other good ones i like uh, a lot of the ones I mentioned on the PS2, like Makai Kingdom is one I didn't really talk about, but it is sort of the successor to Disgaea, almost like a spinoff. And it's your typical like uh, Ichi SRPG. But the big gimmick for this one is that there's vehicles and buildings. So you can like uh, put a building down in the field and then that gives you buffs and like you can house other people. And they have some fun classes because it's a bit more, I guess, modern. Like there's an infantry who's just like 
a guy with like a like a musket or I guess like a shotgun and a lot of really interesting, fun, unique classes as well. Uh, it's a game I haven't really gone back to in a while. Definitely quite solid if you like those old school like Nipponichi SRPGs. And yeah, Triangle Strategy is a good one. Fire Emblem, yes. I love Awakening. Fates, I also like that as well. I know that one, maybe some people don't like it, but I enjoyed both Conquest and Birthright. They were good games. And I think definitely in the future, there's a lot I'm looking forward to. Hopefully the Final Fantasy Tactics Remaster. Uh, that's a game I, I really feel like I want to play again. <laughs> some games I play once and I think I never ever want to play again, even though I like it. For example, like uh, there's a lot of rumors that Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are coming to the Switch. And even though I enjoy both those games, there's no way in the world I'm going to like play those from start to finish ever again. But Tactics is one I, I can see myself like uh, starting over. And there's also Metal Slug Tactics in the future. I was just going to say really that cool. too. I was just going to say uh, that. It was supposed to come out this year, but it didn't. Dang it. Yes. Honestly, any like IP that you have could be a good tactics game. Just make a Star Wars Tactics. Make a... Well, they, they did make a, like a Marvel Tactics yeah. Midnight Suns that I definitely want to try out as well. Uh, just put tactics in everything. Make a, a Mario Tactics, a Sonic Tactics. Who cares? Just put them on a grid, let them go, and it will be fun. One of my honorable mentions I was going to talk about was Shining Force. Uh, well, Shining Force 2 to be specific, but yeah, that one was mm. more had more exploration and like more open world for you to run around and and, and I guess explore and check things out. And that's right. That's it. We've that's we've talked about all the best strategy rpgs there are out there that's it that's all of them <laughs> but if uh yeah if anybody ever ever thinks of any awesome ones yeah feel free to uh i'll, I'll leave a little q a on this episode and feel free to drop your favorite ones and we'll talk about those as well too but uh also we literally just made a, a patreon as well today too so if any listeners want to be cool and subscribe to our patreon and, and help us get more cool stuff out there for you that'd be sweet they'll they're there's a link in all of our social medias. And uh, I know we talked about this earlier, but yeah, where can people find find you and your podcast? Just search for Tokyo Game Life in whatever podcast app you're using. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you can search and search for Tokyo Game Life right now. You don't have to pause this episode. You can still listen to it and search. It won't cut off the episode. So I highly recommend people do it right now. <laughs> uh, and also I'm on Twitter at Tokyo Game Life and Instagram at Tokyo Game Life where I post pictures from Japan every single day. So definitely check that out. I just posted some stuff from a Earthbound exhibit I went to yesterday. So if you want to see some oh cool like uh, Earthbound figurines and art, check it out. Uh, so Tokyo Game Life. Just search it in whatever thing you search in. Oh my god, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Earthbound up right now. Oh my god, that board with a little little plushies of like <laughs> Ness and the and the Chimera and the Mr. Mm. Saturns. Oh my god. And the Rambling Mushroom. Yes. Look at that little guy. <laughs> that's awesome. Alright. Well yeah, that's it everybody. That's the episode. Thank you for, for listening to us talk about our favorite strategy RPGs. We love you and we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. You can say goodbye if you want oh, to. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Goodbye.